Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, you are our strength. And we thank you and we praise you for that. We thank you for how you love us and you care for us. How you watch over us and ultimately how you have a plan for our lives. And Lord, we pray that in that plan that you would speak to our minds and hearts this morning through your word. You have spoken through your worship. You have spoken through prayer. We pray now that you would speak through your word. So Lord, change us from the inside out so that we can look and be more like you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn this morning to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're actually going to be in two different passages. We'll be in Romans 8 and Matthew 2, uh, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning in Romans chapter 8. Now, if you don't have a Bible or an app with you, feel free to grab one of the Bibles in the back of the pews. And if you're not familiar with where Romans is at, don't worry. Uh, There's a table of contents at the beginning of that book. Flip open to the table of contents. Romans is in the second section called the New Testament. So you're going to look for Romans, and then once you get to Romans, you need to be in chapter 8. Now, if you don't have a Bible, Bible with you, and if you don't have a Bible at home uh, and you would like to have one, please take that Bible out of the back of the pew and at the end of the service, walk out the door with it today. We would love to give that to you. We want everybody to have a Bible that they can read and reference and study at home. Uh, so feel free, let that be our gift uh, to you this new year, uh, this, uh, this season. So we would love for you to take that home. Now, as you're turning to Romans 8, let me tell you about the very first church job that I ever had. I grew up in the Texas Panhandle. If you're not sure where that's at, think Amarillo, Texas. That's, a, that's kind of where I grew up. Farm country, I grew up out, out in the boondocks, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my little hometown was literally 30 minutes from the next town. And the next town only had a population of about 1,500 people. So imagine, I I grew up in this the middle of nowhere type area. I graduated, I went to college, I thought I'm going to go to the big city. I ended up in a little town called Canyon, Texas, which is south of Amarillo. It only has a population of about 15,000 people. Um, And and I went to college there, and I I grew in the Lord. I came to know Him much, much more as I, I went through that process. And then I was approached by a church, First Baptist Church of Happy Texas. I kid you not, my first church job was in Happy, Texas. The town has over, just over 600 people in its population. It's a little farming community just south of Amarillo. Uh, and so I went and worked as the youth minister of First Baptist Church of Happy. And about a year into that job, uh, I went for Sunday night Bible study. We had a, a huge youth group. Uh, it was one of those towns where all the kids were expected to go to youth on Sunday night and Wednesday night. And so Sunday night, I'm heading to the church and it's, it's cloudy and stormy and, and there were tornado warnings. If you know anything about the Texas Panhandle, it's part of what's called the, the Tornado Alley. And so I get to the church and I'm hanging out with my students and this and that. And then one of my students, about 30 minutes in, comes rushing in and says, Chad, Chad, there's a tornado outside. And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, no, 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 seriously, come look. And so I went outside and our church sat on the very outskirts of town. So if you walked outside the church, 
and looked backwards, it was just farmland as far as the eye could see. And so I stepped out the door, looked out towards the farmland. Sure enough, a few miles off, there was a huge tornado. And so I go running back in because there was an adult Bible study happening at our church at that time. So I run in, I interrupted the pastor. Pastor Paul, hate to do this. Tornado's here, we gotta go. And so everybody started packing up their stuff and we went to the nearest shelter went underground, uh, rode out the tornado, got done. I, I got back in my truck and headed back after everything had passed. And the tornado had literally gone right over the top of our church and sheared half of the roof off of our building. It was completely gone. The, it spared the roof of the sanctuary, but our education wing was destroyed. My office was in the education wing, by the way. My Bible was sitting on my desk open to the passage I was going to teach on that night. And when I arrived, it had sheared off that roof, but my Bible sat on my desk, <laughs> sitting. I still have that Bible. It's in my office. So, long story short, God blessed us. You go, well, he blessed you. Tornado destroyed your building. No, he, he blessed us because in that moment we had to run. But when we came back, we thought that there wasn't a whole lot of hope. And what God ended up doing was through that tornado, people started seeking God. That tornado went right through town. And it destroyed a lot of people's lives. And people hit rock bottom and they sought the Lord. We ended up getting insurance money and rebuilding the church. And we saw people come to the church who hadn't been to church in decades because they were desperately in need of hope. They needed something that they didn't think they needed before. And suddenly they realized they did need it. And they found that in Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever had to run from something? I'm not talking about philosophically or emotionally. I'm talking physically had to run from something. Like something bigger or dangerous was after you or was coming your way. Have you ever had to run well, today's passage is all about running. We, we left off last week with the Magi. If you're new with us, uh, we've been studying the Gospels, all four of the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the first four books in the New Testament, and they tell the story of Jesus. And we're still in the very beginning of that. Uh, last week we left off with these guys called the Magi who came and visited Jesus as a young child, probably a toddler or, or an older infant, and how they brought him gifts and they worshipped him because he was called, they called him the King of the Jews. Uh, and so now fast forward, the Magi have left and the King, King Herod, is furious that they've left and not told him where to find the child because he wants to get rid of the child. His throne is being threatened and he wants to get rid of this kid. And now he's mad. And in Matthew chapter 2, picking up in verse 13, it says this, And when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Joseph is Jesus' adopted dad, let's call him that. Appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up! Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, 
took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, where it says, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys of Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, where it says, A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, this is a very heavy passage. Herod is furious. He's going to get rid of this child, whatever it takes. And so he orders that all children in Bethlehem and in the surrounding area under the age of two be killed. Now, now let me give you some background because I've been taught a lot of weird things about what this may have looked like and speculation about why you don't read about this in the, the ancient records of history back in that day and time that were written by guys like Josephus and Tacitus and, and those guys. The reason that you don't hear about this is Bethlehem was a very small town. And so Herod did not kill every boy under the age of two through the entire land of Israel. It's very clear here in Matthew, he's only killing the children. And I say that, that's horrible to say. He's killing the children in one very small area. So we're not talking about hundreds and thousands of children. We're talking about maybe a dozen. Think about a very small town like Happy, Texas. Uh, or the little town I grew up in, a uh, little town of, called Perryton, where there's 8,000 people. You could probably count all of the boys under the age of two on your hands. And so that's what Herod is doing. So the angel warns Joseph ahead of time. They flee to Egypt to escape the death of their child. They want to get away from them. Now, of course, this is a fulfillment of two different prophecies in Scripture, one prophecy saying that my son will come out of Egypt, and the other one is out of Jeremiah, where it talks about uh, the place of Ramah, the Rachel will be weeping uh, for the death of her children. Um, and you can go and do the Old Testament study. Ramah is the place where Rachel was buried, or is believed to be buried, um, and she has heritage there. There's a, a family heritage. And so Ramah is the fulfillment of that Bethlehem and surrounding area uh, fulfillment of this passage. And if you want some more details on that, uh, I can explain that. don't know that I can right here uh, in this time right now. So why did they need to run? Uh, we've done the background. We know the story now. Why did they need to run? They needed to run because they were under persecution. They had to flee from one country to find asylum in another country. They had to go from Israel to Egypt. They were being forced to run from a government that was seeking to kill their child. And parents, if, you have, if you've had children, you probably can identify if your child was being threatened, if your child, if someone was coming along and threatening to kill your child, you would do whatever it takes to protect your child, wouldn't you? No matter what steps you had to take, you would get that child to safety. And that's exactly what Joseph and Mary are doing. They're following the directions of the angel. So they are running from a government. That government, namely, is King Herod. Uh, and think about that. I want you to listen to that for just a moment because Herod is important here. You see, we all have Herods in our life. 
We all have Herods. We all have those things, those elements of life that are seeking to destroy us or destroy our faith. Those Herods are constantly pursuing. Don't be deceived. God never promises that we as followers of Christ will have an easy life. As a matter of fact, we're promised the direct opposite. In John 15, verse 20, it says, Jesus speaking says, Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Don't be deceived, church. If you are a follower of Christ, that means that people are going to dislike you. People will push against you. There will be Herods in your life. There will be people that will seek to tear down your faith, your belief in Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Paul encouraging Timothy, and this doesn't sound very encouraging, but uh, if you read all of 2 Timothy, you'll understand it. He says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Mary and Joseph, I don't think, believed that their life was going to be easy, being the mother and father of the Messiah. I think that they understood to a certain extent that they were going to have to make sacrifices in order to make happen God's plan in their life, in order to allow God's plan to be enacted. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans 8, that passage that I I told you to turn to. Romans 8, we're going to start in verse 31. Romans 8, 31. There's something that I want us to understand today about God's plan for the Herods in our life. Remember, the Herods are those things, those elements of life that are seeking to destroy us or destroy, and or destroy our faith in Christ. Listen to what Romans 8, 31 through 39 says. It says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that a beautiful promise? If God is for us, who can possibly be against us? Let's keep reading. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For as it is written, for your sake we will face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Talk about a beautiful promise. Talk about reassurance that no matter what comes our way, Christ has us in his hands. You see, the Herods are going to come and go. The Herods, those things that are going to try and drive us away from Jesus are always going to be around. They're going to change. They're going to, one's going to go and another's going to come. They're going to be there. Let me give you some examples. Governments are always shifting back and forth uh, about whether or not to accept Christ and Christianity or not. For example, right now in China, China uh, is a country that has gone up and down with how they've accepted Christianity. They've never fully embraced it. But right now, just this past week, there's a pastor who has been sentenced to nine years in hard prison because of his faith in Christ. Not because he uh, committed some heinous crime, but because he's a Christian. There are always going to be Herods. And believe me, if you stick around in a country long enough, if you give a government enough time, hundreds of years, eventually that country will persecute Christians. Our country is already making slight movements in that direction. Now, I'm not saying good or bad about any one government. Government has its place. Don't misunderstand me. But our faith is not in government. Our faith is in our Savior. Our faith is in the one that Romans 8, 31 through 39 says, who can be against us if God is for us? Another Herod that is very common are the false religions that are out there. Uh, there are many false religions. There are many, many people saying, oh, well, this faith can lead you to uh, eternity, to heaven, to perfection, to, to whatever. But believe me, Jesus, the Son of God, did not come to this earth and live a perfect sinless life and die on a cross for each and every one of our sins and then rise from the grave on the third day and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He didn't do that so that you could pick any way to get to heaven. He did all of that so that you would choose Jesus. You see, when we as First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale, when we say that we exist to lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus, uh, you'll catch me saying sometimes the life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus. There's so many false ways that don't lead to anything but death. And it's our job to fight against those Herods, those false religions. Uh, another one is the culture and cultural movements uh, in whatever culture you may be. And believe me, every culture has an aspect that pushes against Christianity. Uh, you can see many of them in our country and the world today, but you go to another country and another part of the world, and their culture is pushing against Christianity in a different way than our culture is. Culture does not define our faith. Our culture can make decisions to go whatever direction it wants to go. Ultimately, our faith is not in what culture teaches, but in what this book points us to, to the salvation of Jesus Christ. So, so culture is a Herod many times. Sometimes the Herod in our lives are the very people that are around us. Coworkers, family members, whatever, friends, anybody. Sometimes there are people in our very own lives who unknowingly or intentionally 
are acting as Herods, are trying to push us away from our faith in Jesus. And many times, that is the most effective way that the devil uses to pull us away from Christ, is by using someone that we're close to to pull us away from the closest relationship that we should have, the relationship with our Savior. So sometimes the Herods are the people around us. Lastly, sometimes we ourselves are our own Herods. Many times we, our own temptations, our own desires that aren't godly, uh, our own selfishness sometimes pulls us away from the relationship that God wants to have with us. That relationship that he made available through his son Jesus. Sometimes we have to keep our own minds and our own hearts in check to keep us in line with where God wants us to be. So there are many, many Herods out there. I've just given a few examples, but there are so many more. But hear me on this. No matter what the Herods in your life are, God is always in control of them. There is no Herod in your life that is outside of God's sovereignty, His his power, His control, His ability to save you from. As a matter of fact, Psalm chapter 2 If you were to go read Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2 in the very beginning, first five verses, talks about how God laughs at the authorities and powers that try to uh, upend, who try to uh, divert or pull away people from his plan and purpose. He laughs at them because literally no one in this world, nothing, no power of this world is more powerful than God. Romans 8 teaches us that there's nothing height nor depth powers principalities there's nothing in this world in this created universe that has the power to pull us away from God he is powerful over all of them they have no power over him and his rule his plan will always come to pass and God gives us some beautiful promises about this. I'm going to list just a few up on the screen behind me uh, and explain them, but there are hundreds of these. These are just a teensy tiny sampling of the beautiful promises that God gives us in His Word. So let me, let me go through a few of these very quickly with you. Romans 13 verse 1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except for God. And those who exist have been instituted by God. Hear me clearly on this. It doesn't matter what any government in the world does. God has a plan for that. It doesn't matter what this government does, what a government on the other side of the ocean, what our neighboring countries do. Those governments have been established by God and He alone has a purpose for them. We may never fully understand His purposes, but He has a purpose. He is in control of the governments. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. You see, God has power over everything through the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. His death, resurrection, and ascension makes Him the name by which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So, there's nothing that can have power over us if we are in Christ. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except that is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Hear me on this. Each and every one of us have different temptations in our lives. Every single one of us have some thing, some, some sin issue that we constantly struggle with. And we go through seasons where those sin issues change and those temptations and struggles mold and change into different things. But ultimately, every time you and I are tempted, God always provides a way out. He always provides an escape from that temptation. My prayer daily is that not only that God would forgive me of my sins, but that He would help me to pursue the escape plan that He's provided when I'm tempted. And that is a beautiful promise in God's Word. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, we don't have to fear the devil. We don't have to fear the accuser because when we resist him in the name of Jesus, he runs the other way, screaming as he goes because he has already been defeated. He has already been conquered by the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Remember, we know how this is going to end, don't we? We know how history will fin uh, finalize. We don't, may not know the details of what's going to happen, but we know that Jesus has the victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. Because He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and let nothing move you. You can stand firm in Jesus because He's already won the victory for your life. Uh, Isaiah 40 verse 29 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Then go forward one more chapter. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, we always have power in Jesus. And like I said, these, these passages that I've put up here are a teensy tiny sampling of the promises that God gives us throughout His Word. Believe me, God's Word assures us that we are in God's hands. So the Herods are going to come and go. In the midst of them, God will always be faithful. I think the biggest question, though, is what is our biblical response to the Herods? What does God's Word tell us we should do in response to the various Herods that we may have in our lives. I think a better question uh, is this. What will lead people closer to Jesus? If you can answer that question, if you can answer the question, what will lead people closer to Jesus? Then you've got the answer of how to respond to the Herods in your life. 
If you can say, God, help me know what will lead people to you, that will start to give you direction on how to respond to the Herods. Believe me, sometimes God calls us to run. We see that right here. He did not tell Joseph in Matthew chapter 2, he didn't tell Joseph to stand his ground against King Herod. He told him to run because there was a purpose and a plan for that. Now, let me be very blunt right here. I don't believe today that there are a whole lot of instances where God calls us to run. As Americans, where we're not truly persecuted with our lives, you know, there's not a government seeking to put us in jail because we're sitting here in church right now, not like China or India or many other countries in the world. So I don't think we as Americans are called to run that often. I think the other response, there's two other responses God may call you to do. Sometimes He wants you to stand against something. He wants you to take a stand against something and push back. Sometimes He just wants you to sit and endure it. And I know that stinks. I know that's, that's terrible to think about. I'm going through this horrible thing and God wants me to just wait it out. Yeah, sometimes He does. Sometimes God wants you to push back and sometimes He wants you to sit back and be strong in Him. But ultimately, He wants us to show people God's love and faithfulness. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 3 says. 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm reading verses 14 through 16. It says this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Hear me clearly on this. We are called in every circumstance to give a defense for our faith, for the hope that we have in Jesus. Exact wording from 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. We are called to be able, to be ready, to give a defense, to point people to the salvation that can only be found in Jesus. But catch what it says here. It says to do that with gentleness and respect. In other words, we as followers of Christ sometimes are called to stand against and sometimes called to endure and sometimes called to flee. But ultimately, no matter what the call is in response to the Herods of our life, we're called to point people to Jesus and to do so with gentleness and respect. Loving others the way Christ loved us. God wants to use even the Herods in your life to point people to the life-changing hope of Jesus. So here's my question today. What is God calling you to do this year? I think you can all probably think of the Herods that you have in your life. All the things that are pushing against you or pushing against your faith. But what is, God's, what is God calling you to respond to those Herods with? Whatever it is, whether it's fleeing or standing strong against something, or, or enduring that situation, He calls us to do that in a way that points people, to other, points people to Jesus with gentleness and respect. What Herods 
Is he calling you to stand through or stand against or flee from? And how is he calling you to do it? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you that we have a Savior that loves us and cares for us so much that he would stand with us, that he would provide safe haven, that he would provide escape plans, that he would provide strength. We thank you that you are that kind of God. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today and help us to understand what you're calling us to do in this year. How we're called to go and respond to the world around us and to the world that's inside of us. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. And we pray that you would continue to guide us in all that we do so that we can bring people to the life-changing hope of Jesus. We thank you, we praise you, and lift all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move now into a time where we respond uh, to what God is doing on our hearts and in our minds uh, through worship and prayer in His Word. And so if you need to pray this morning, uh, please, we invite you to come and pray here at the altar. Uh, Feel free to do that. If you need to talk with someone, uh, myself, I'm Pastor Chad, and Pastor Josh will be right here at this front pew, and we will also be available after the service. If you've got questions about beginning a life-changing relationship with Jesus, or just what that may look like for your life, please come talk to us. We would love the opportunity to talk to you about what Jesus did for you on the cross. Either way, it's time to respond to God's movement in our lives. Let's stand and respond.